Nevada, 1971. You've gone for a drive out in the desert with a couple of friends. Dusk is approaching, and you are all ready for a good time. You speed along the open highway in your Impala and pull off into a clearing as the sun begins to dip below the horizon. The radio's up, a fire started, and you are all ready for a night you'll all remember. And then it happens. An earth-shattering bang cuts through the stillness of the desert air. You all see it streak across the blue evening sky, a disc-shaped flying object. No plane could fly that fast, you think, as everyone begins to process what just occurred. Over the horizon lies Area 51. I'm Abby, and you've been warned. Don't look in the... cactuses? Welcome to another episode of Don't Look at the Trees. Today we're going to be looking into a site that has garnered the mysticism and intrigue of a whole country, Area 51. First we'll talk about the history of Area 51 and then some of the grander conspiracies that have popped up surrounding it. Then a fun story from one of our listeners. Hopefully by the end you'll feel at least a little compelled to dust off your tinfoil hat and pop that sucker back on. Area 51 is a highly classified United States Air Force facility with a remote detachment administered by the Edwards Air Force Base. It can be found in Nevada, north of Las Vegas, in the Nevada Test and Training Range. The U.S. Air Force acquired the site in 1955 primarily to test new experimental aircraft like the U-2 spy plane. It is unclear how the name Area 51 was impressed onto the place. It is believed that the number comes from an Atomic Energy Commission numbering grid, although Area 51 is not a part of that system. The CIA officially refers to the site as Homey Airport and or Grim Lake, after the salt flats on the site, which are remnants of a dried-up lake. Area 51 was used in CIA documents from the Vietnam War. The site has also earned several nicknames, including Dreamland and Paradise Ranch. Area 51 itself takes up an area measuring 23 by 25 miles of restricted airspace. The airfield at Grim Lake began service in 1942 as the Indian Springs Air Forest Auxiliary Field and consisted of two 5,000-foot runways. The Groom Lake Test Facility was established in April 1955 by the CAA for Project Aquatone, which saw the development of the U-2 spy plane. Project Director Richard Bissell of Lockheed knew that he couldn't get away with developing the project at Edwards Air Force Base or at Lockhead Facility in Palmdale. This was because the U-2 was meant to be a spy on the Soviet Union. If these test flights were conducted in view of the general public, the jig would be up. This is where the secrecy around Area 51 begins. Employees of the CIA, Air Force, and Lockheed were flown into the location from the surrounding area. There were no roads which led to the place, and no one could say for sure where the facility was besides those who had flown in and out. The facility finished its construction in July 1955 and received its first U-2 on July 24th. The way it arrived was secret as well. It had been built in pieces in Burbank, California, and flown into the facility on a C-124 Globemaster. Then it was assembled at Area 51 to begin test flights. This was around the time that reports of UFO sightings became more prevalent around Area 51. Most civilian aircraft flew under 20,000 feet, and military aircraft flew under 40,000 feet. That is in the mid-1950s. The U-2, however, had a service ceiling of 80,000 feet. This was much, much higher than any other aircraft at the time. It would shine and glint in the upper atmosphere due to being unpainted during testing. Eventually, it would be given a dark coat of paint as to not stand out. 
The majority of reports at the time could be ruled out by Crofts, referencing the locations provided in eyewitness accounts and those recorded by air traffic controllers who were tracking the U-2. The accounts of UFOs often cite a cigar-shaped object cruising along through the sky, which almost exactly matches the body shape of the U-2. This all changed in 1960. Gary Powers was shot down over the USSR after doing a risky flight meant to shore up intelligence gaps that was known about Soviet missiles, nuclear programs, and nuclear submarines. He was set to do this in one single flight. The Soviets fired three SAM missiles at the U-2, two of which exploded just behind the plane. Powers bailed out of the plane and landed safely on the ground, where he was picked up by members of the Soviet military. He had been supplied with a poison to unalive himself in the event that he had to bail out, but he chose not to use it. The accident in May 1960 caused the embarrassment of the Eisenhower administration and prompted a new top-secret program at Area 51, Boxcart. This new program was started in 1959, but got ramped up quickly after the May 1960 incidents. This program was attempting to fix the U-2's problem, speed. A new aircraft was needed which could do the impossible and outrun a surface-to-air missile. The aircraft that was developed was the A-12, later improved and renamed to the SR-71 Blackbird. The SR-71 is the fastest jet aircraft of all time, with a top speed of 12,100 miles per hour, or 350 kilometers per hour. This is where the peak UFO sightings around Area 51 began. You see, the fuselage of the A-12 was very wide and flat to help keep it as aerodynamic as possible. The exterior was made of titanium, which both kept it light and prevented a high heat at supersonic speed. This combination led many to believe that this super-fast, super-high-flying object could be a UFO. Commercial pilots at the time even reported seeing a UFO in the area during the Oxcart project, and many reports came in that were checked against the flight plans for the AR-12 and ruled out. This is where things get even more confusing. Not all of the flight paths of the U-2 or the A-12 could be used to disprove UFO sightings. This information was played up by the CIA in a propaganda campaign meant to increase the country's intrigue surrounding Area 51. Not to mention Area 51 first caught the eye of the country in 1947, when a report came out of New Mexico about a flying saucer that crashed near Roswell. This Roswell incident was released to the public, and then the story quickly changed when the army said that the wreckage recovered near Roswell was that of a weather balloon. The story ended there until 1970, when a retired army major named Jesse Marcel stated in an interview that he believed that the debris from the crash was extraterrestrial. This prompted many investigations into the Roswell incident, which implied that the wreckage debris could be stored at Area 51. This started a new wave of conspiracy theories surrounding Area 51, which, again, the CIA could have played up. No matter what the story is with Area 51, it is well agreed that some of the greatest feats of science and engineering have played out on the grounds and the skies above Area 51. I'm not here to convince you one way or another, but I am here to tell you a strange story from one of my listeners, Callista. Don't go away, you're going to want to hear this. Hi Abby, my name is Callista, and I wanted to preface by saying that I love you and your show so much. Thank you! I was so happy to hear you finally felt safe enough to make more podcasts and even more excited to see more episodes released. Thanks, I'm excited to be filming with you guys. I have a scary story that I'd like to share with you. Everyone talks about how Nevada is known for extraterrestrial, but never talks about paranormal and supernatural. We have many tourist attractions for haunted vacations, one of them being our very famous Virginia City. Please, I would die if you came here. I would love to give you a tour of one of our most haunted towns. It's so amazing that the history was preserved in this little town. I'd love to come out there. 
But without further ado, I present you with one of my scary stories. If you're interested, I have two other bone-chilling stories to share. But share them, girl. This happened in Christmas time in 2020. Me, my husband, and his sister began to take our dogs out to Vegas to visit their mom for their birthday, since it was the same day as Christmas. The story takes place in Armagosa Valley, Nevada, along Route 95, just about 200 meters away from Alien 51 Pit Stop. Armagosa Valley is one of the few pit stops between Vegas and Hawthorne, so pretty secluded. There may be a couple little rundown shacks littering the land around it. It was pretty late at night, and we decided to stop for Philip, Leg stretch and a dog potty break. We stopped at the Area 51 stop to Philip and decide where we wanted to go for the dogs and to take a smoke break. We found an old graffitied building about 200 meters away, give or take, and we decided to be the typical white people and look at the creepy buildings that gave us all the weird vibes. Mostly just curious over anything, I'll attach some pictures for you below. After exploring the building and letting the dogs run around for a bit, we decided to smoke real quick and then head out. Well, before we got into the car, we made a horrible decision to go investigate this little shack about 10 meters behind the building. All three of the dogs kept freaking out over the shack, and that should have been enough, but nope, of, oh, of course not. I had to convince everyone to go and investigate the weird tiny shed that for some reason had no graffiti on it even though the building was spitting distance away from what was covered. So we went up to the building and the first thing we all noticed was how bad the feeling in our bodies got as we got closer, and how much more odd the dogs were acting. They kept acting skittish and jumpy, and they seemed to be very on edge over the building. It wasn't very big, maybe 7 feet by 7 feet and probably 3 feet tall, just made out of plywood. Here's where it started to get really weird. Keep in mind the whole time the vibes we were getting from it just got worse and worse. The door to the shed had three different locks on it. A combination lock, a padlock, and I think a just different kind of key or combo lock. The wood looked like it had been burned from the inside of the shed. However, the locks were perfectly fine. There were a few other strange marks, I don't quite remember what they were, but they were weird. After walking around the shed, we went back to the car to smoke because it was kind of chilly outside, but there was no movement. We were trying to outrun a snowstorm so everything was quiet and still. But so was the air there. There wasn't any wind, no breeze. It was still and quiet. This is why we don't look in the trees. Where we were was right in the middle of nowhere, and the radio began changing channels trying to shift over to different stations so there'd be a nice, almost comfortable lull of static and quiet voices in the background. Then all of a sudden things went very wrong. All of a sudden the radio went to complete static and got noticeably louder. I've always had a knack for sensing paranormal, more so than other people I'm with. After the radio went completely static, that's when everything in my body went cold and a sense of dread filled my body. I don't know what was happening, but I knew we needed to get out of there. Now. My husband carried my dog to the car for me so it could get in without any issues as he turned to talk to my sister-in-law. A series of terrifying things happened all at once, it seemed like. I told him we needed to go, and now. But a soda can had burst in his sister's car, so he was going to help her clean it up. I asked him later what my face did when he told me to hold on, and he said that all the blood left my face and I was completely pale. Then he noticed the trunk of our car was open. Mind you, we had been driving for about an hour or more, so we, sh we would have noticed if our trunk was open. The soda can from his sister's car had a tiny puncture on it and was spraying soda all over her cup holder. They both said the hole couldn't have been bigger than someone stabbing with a tip of a pencil. While my husband was talking about the trunk of the car and she was holding the soda can out of her window, all of a sudden, there was a scraping dragon sound in the dirt behind her car, and the soda can burst open and started spraying soda like a fountain, because the tiny hole had turned into a giant slash on the side. At first, we had thought her dog's nail had punctured the can, but we later found out that that wasn't true. The can can just spontaneously burst open. After the can burst the rest of the way, his sister heard a dragging sound, and we all took off in our cars. 
We drove, I'm not kidding, about 80 miles per hour for an hour straight without stopping until the next gas station. When my husband and his sister were about to clean the cup holders, they were full of muddy water, not Dr. Pepper like it should have been, but muddy water with sticks and rocks. Also, there should have only been enough to cover the bottom of her cup holder in the thin layer of liquid, but her cup was over halfway full when they went to clean it. The energy tried to follow us home. I felt its presence all the way back to my house, probably another six hours, I'd say. And when I got home, I told the energy to leave and that it wasn't welcome, and suddenly the feeling lifted and went away. I haven't felt it since. So as you say, Abby, this is why we don't look in the trees or explore abandoned buildings. Whew. Callista, that is wild. I can't even imagine. Thankfully, I haven't had any extraterrestrial experiences, though my husband has. Maybe I'll have him tell you a little bit about that later. She also included pictures along with her story, and I'm going to post those on Instagram, so don't you worry. I'm glad you're safe, and I'm glad your doggies are safe. That's been the worst part about all of this, is you can't explain to your dog what's going on. They don't know. They just know that they're uncomfortable. But I'm glad you all were safe, and that whatever it was listened to you. That, my friends, is our brief encounter with Area 51. I love it for the spooky yuki. My husband loves it for the airplane lore. Seriously, he geeked out on this one in case you couldn't tell. Have you ever been to Area 51? Or at least outside of it? Have you had your own encounter with something unexplainable? Send in your stories to dlittpod at gmail.com and they just might make it onto the show. I will let y'all know. The more you write and really set the scene for us, the more likely it is that I'll choose yours to read on the show, just because we need to paint a picture for our fine forest friends, right? Be sure to stop in for more content on TikTok at Abby underscore Sabota or on Instagram at Don't Look in the Trees. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I've been Abby, and you've been warned. Don't look in the trees or cactuses. Live long and prosper, my fine forest friends.